0: done. He calls a leader to do it. When God wanted an architect and carpenter to build an ark to preserve a remnant of civilization, he called Noah. When he wanted a a father-type figure to found a nation through which he would eventually bring Messiah to the world, he, he called Abraham. When God needed an administrator to lead Egypt through a severe famine and save his own people, he called Joseph. When God needed a a great deliverer to bring his people out of bondage in Egypt, he called Moses. Uh, When God needed a wise judge to provide guidance to the people once they were in the promised land, and make sure that justice prevailed, he called Deborah. When God needed a, a wise and able king to lead his people and shepherd them with integrity of heart, he called David. When God needed a, a beauty queen to use her very influence to preserve his People from potential extinction, he called Esther. When God needed a a virgin to give birth to his son, he called Mary. And when God needed an ambassador to boldly take the gospel to the Gentiles, he called the Apostle Paul. It's just true, folks. When God needs a job done, he calls a leader to do it. And I'm convinced that God still calls women and men to lead today in all kinds of ways. He calls broadcasters and builders, coaches and CEOs. He calls judges and writers. He calls money managers, and musicians, physicians, and politicians. He calls teachers, and believe it or not, he even calls preachers. And I'm convinced that God is calling some of you this very day. In fact, at the end of this message, we're gonna carve out some time where your lead pastor is going to shepherd you, guide you. He's going to lead us through this time of reflection and a time of commitment. And I want to ask you right up front, I want to boldly ask you to be open in your heart and mind for how God may be calling you. Because when God needs a job done, he calls a leader to do it. Now, last weekend, we kicked off this series in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. We're gonna be looking at the life of Samuel together. We're calling this Odyssey of an Emerging Leader. And today, I want to invite you to open your Bible up to 1 Samuel chapter three, and let's begin to take a look at the call experience of Samuel. The first thing I want you to notice here and there's so many parallels as we study this together to, to what God may do in your own call. First, I want you to see that sometimes God calls us at a very young age. First Samuel chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, let's Push pause right there because there are a number of interesting things right off the bat. In those days refers to the period of the judges. That roughly was the period from when Joshua conquered the promised land to the time of King Saul, the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. It's roughly, depending on exactly how you count it, three to four hundred years. It was not a time of tremendous optimism or unity. It was a time of a lot of pessimism. It it seemed to be at times even chaotic in the land of Israel. The land was ruled by judges. And it says further here, the word of the Lord was rare. Now, what does that mean? Most scholars think, think that means there were not many special revelations from God. You know, God is always revealing himself in nature, in creation, in our conscience, and so on. But special revelation goes beyond these general revelations. And scholars believe there weren't a lot of those special words from God. Some have said that there, if you look at the whole period of the judges, there's only about five recorded revelations from God that would be what we would call special. Why was that? It might have been because the nation was generally in a period of rebellion and there was not a lot of strong leadership at this time. In fact, uh, at least a couple of times in the book of Judges, it says there was no king in the land. Uh, people did what was right in their own eyes. It was kind of like Mardi Gras in New Orleans where the authorities kind of just back off and people party and do whatever they want. And and the result is not a good time had by all. The result is usually a destructive downward spiral. And and that's a picture of what was going on in Israel at this time. But God was about to intervene. Last week, we saw how that Samuel, just as a, a, a young boy Was devoted to God and helped Eli the priest. Well, today, as we look at this story, he's older now. Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, says that when this call experience came, Samuel was 12 years old. Well, we don't know for sure, but the text doesn't tell us. He probably was about 12 or somewhere around in that area. And this young man, this young man Samuel, had grown up in the temple at Shiloh. He saw the things of God. He was around holy things. He knew about worship of the living God. He lived and slept there at the tabernacle. (laughs) Now, you know what? I believe that gives a person a lot of advantages, when someone grows up in the church, around the gospel, hearing the Gospel, around Christian leaders, it gives him or her tremendous advantages. but there are also, I think some disadvantages. I, I want to mention a few on both sides of that equation. first of all, a few of the advantages of of growing up with Christian parents, growing up in the church. I, I think one is that usually god 's word is deeply rooted in your heart. I was taught scripture verses in Sunday school that I still know today. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I learned that as a boy of six or seven years old. I never have to rehearse it. It's always there, and some of you know what that's like. God's word is etched in your heart and mind. Another advantage is that many of you who grew up in church were spared some of the consequences of the nastier and more disfiguring sins. Think about it. Some of you who grew up knowing the Lord from an early age, guess what? You missed out on a lot, didn't you? You never overdosed on drugs. You never spent any time in jail. You never got arrested for drunk driving. You never fathered a child out of wedlock. You never contracted a sexually transmitted disease, you missed out on a lot. Oh, you were far from perfect. But thanks be to God, you avoided some of the common pitfalls that tend to not only scar people, but sometimes totally derail a positive future. And another advantage I'll mention is that if you grew up in church your chances of becoming a genuine Christ follower are greatly enhanced. Popular researcher George Barna wrote, Social scientists have known for years that the moral foundations of children are generally determined by the time they reach age nine. So if you grew up in church around holy things like Samuel did here, it's much, much more likely that you're going to become a true follower of Jesus. Those are all good things, and we could name many more advantages. But I'm going to dare to suggest that there actually is a downside, potentially, to being so familiar with the holy. For instance, it may create a spirit of over-familiarity where the sacred loses its specialness. I mean, that happened for Eli's sons. The text here teaches us that his sons were so accustomed to ministering in the tabernacle that the holy lost its mystique, and nothing, it seems, was sacred to them anymore. In fact, they not only stole money, but it also says they slept with women at the entrance to the place of meeting. Now, if you grew up as an altar boy or as a preacher's kid or a missionary's kid or maybe some Christian leader's child, you probably played in the baptistry or you may have snuck, sneaked some extra communion wafers or you may have clowned around with the Bible or made up new words to some of the hymns and sang them during worship. Boy, I did some of those things you may have done that to the point that Jesus became so familiar, it was just old hat and you had no fear of God at all. A second disadvantage is that you may actually feel uncomfortable around unbelievers if you grew up in church. I know some Christians like that. You, you kind of thought of the world as those awful people out there who are so ungodly, and we're the holy people in here, and, and you actually see it as an us and them kind of thing. That's tragic when that occurs. And we have trouble loving people like Jesus taught us to, no matter where they are on the spectrum of faith. And I'll mention one other disadvantage. Growing up in church can sometimes, sometimes create a legalistic mindset where you actually believe you don't really need God's grace. You know, many of you listening to me right now, you really get this grace thing, don't you? You get it. Because you went down a path of sin, you were so far from God, and you understand the only way you could possibly be saved is the amazing grace of God. Hallelujah. You get that. But you know what I've observed? Some people who grow up in church and never go through a time of deep rebellion if you can believe this, they actually sometimes think that they don't need God's grace. Yeah, they're like the older brother in the parable Jesus taught. You know, the brother of the prodigal. Ah, they've always been at home. They've always been close to the father. And they don't get the fact that all of us are in desperate need of God's saving grace. They may develop a legalistic mindset toward others and become like a spiritual Pharisee. I hope that doesn't happen to any of you. Well, what we see here is that Samuel, although he grew up in the temple, grew up close to the things of God, that experience actually was a tremendous advantage for him because he had a heart for the living God. And I would just say to you before we quickly move on, That if God calls you early, I believe it's a tremendous advantage. You know what? My call, and I'm going to share a little bit more about it later, it came pretty early in life. And because God called me early, he spared me of a lot of the vocational and life frustrations that many people have to go through. I hope God shows you early what he wants you to do with your life. But let's go on. Secondly, I want you to see that sometimes God's call in our lives is dramatic. He calls us in dramatic ways. Now, if your Bible's open there to 1 Samuel chapter 3, let's look more closely at this call. One night, Eli, this is verse 2, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Evidently, it was early morning when the the flame grew dim. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You talk about familiar with the sacred. Samuel is actually sleeping here in the same room where the ark of the covenant was. This most holy place. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go, go, Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. What that's saying is that Samuel knew about God. He was ministering for God, but he did not have an actual experience with him. I grew up watching Billy Graham on TV. I actually read some of his books as a boy. I saw him interviewed on TV. I saw him talking and preaching, but I I didn't know Billy Graham. It, It wasn't until years later that I knew him on a whole different level. Verse eight and following reads, the Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Don't you know his heart was racing? His eyes must have been wide with anticipation. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Now, what I want you to see, friends, is that sometimes God's call is dramatic, but other times not. God called Moses dramatically through a burning bush. God called Joseph rather undramatically. God called Mary dramatically through the visit of an angel, but God called Esther through the winning of a beauty contest. My own call to ministry was not dramatic, but it sure was clear. I I don't know how much of this I've shared with you as a congregation I know I've told some individuals but when I was 13 years old I came into a personal relationship with Christ and I knew immediately what God wanted me to do. You say, "Well, how did you know?" Did you hear a voice? Would you get awakened at night like no, 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 nothing like that. Nothing dramatic. I just I've often put it like this, I just knew that I knew that I knew what I was supposed to do. I began to think about preaching. I began to think about Christian leadership. I began to watch preachers and kind of analyze what they were doing. Nobody told me to do that. It was just this inner urge, and God was showing me what he wanted me to do with my life. That was when I was 13 years old. When I was 14 years old, we had a meeting at church we called a revival meeting where an evangelist by the name of James Bond, I'm not making this up, James Bond was the guy's real name. You can't make up stuff like that. This evangelist, Bond, James Bond, yeah, that's who he was, he came and preached an entire week at our little church. And one night, I'll never forget it, it was a Thursday night. And in his message, he said, and God is calling some of you. He's calling you to Christian ministry. He's calling you to give your life to him and follow him in your whole vocation. And wow, I'm sitting there already knowing for over a year now that God was calling me. And he gave an invitation that night. And I went forward and let the entire church know about 100 people that God was truly calling me. And they all came by and shook my hand, congratulated me, said, I'll be praying for you as we sang a song together. That was a life-changing moment. But you know what? The pastor, his name was Leo Bunt. Leo Bunt was our pastor. And Leo, by the way, was the brother of Cleo and Theo. They were triplets. You can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you right now, you can't make it up. So Pastor Leo Bunt, the brother of Theo and Cleo, he was there to greet me when I let the church know God was calling me, and guess what? Pastor Leo Bunt came over to my house after the service that very night. You know why he came over? He asked me if I'd preach that Sunday. This was Thursday, and he wanted to know if I would preach that Sunday morning. That's one of the advantages, by the way, of a small church out in the country. Boy, you get a lot of opportunities. Well, I turned him down. I was scared to death. I, would, I said, I wouldn't even know where to start. And thankfully, the opportunities kept coming. And some months later, when I was 15, I began to actually preach. And through the years, even though I fought that call and rebelled against that call and said, God, I'll do anything else. God kept confirming that call in my life. I could not get away from this pull on my life. God was calling me into ministry. And I want to say to you today, God is not playing games with you. God's not gonna give you a little hint about what he wants you to do and then chastise you years later because you missed his clue and messed up your life. No, no, no. God called Samuel here four times, basically, before Samuel knew what was going on. And if we don't understand his call at first, he will confirm it and make it clear. Years ago, I heard of a single young woman was about to fulfill her lifelong desire to become a missionary to China. She was the oldest of seven children. She had paid her way through college. She had done all the necessary preparation. She was literally minutes away from boarding a ship to sail to China, her lifelong dream. But in those minutes, she received the tragic telegram that her mother had passed away with broken heart. And grief-stricken, she returned home for the funeral. And during that time, she realized, I can't go away right now. I, I need to stay home and help care for my younger siblings, help my dad raise them. And so she did. And she tried not to be bitter about it. She tried to accept it as God's will, but it was really, really hard. And she spent a good portion of her life just... Raising her siblings, she never married, she never went to China. And in her own mind, it seemed for a while that her life was wasted. She didn't realize until toward the end of her life when two of her younger brothers became very effective preachers, Two of her sisters became missionaries, one of them a very powerful missionary to China, the very place she had wanted to go. She didn't realize until the end of her life that God had actually truly fulfilled his call in her. He had called her to be a second mom. And he had multiplied her influence far beyond what she ever imagined. But she didn't realize it until the end of her life. And what I'm saying to you today is that she found her calling by being faithful to the task at hand. Some of you may be looking for God's call in a super dramatic way. It may come by him just completing the work he started in you right where you are. And you represent Jesus well every day as a nurse, a doctor, a CEO, an attorney, a school teacher, a neighbor, a friend, a brother, a sister. And you do that, you're God's missionary cleverly disguised as one of those things. Well, there's a third and final lesson I want us to consider before we close today. And that is sometimes God's call calls us to a very difficult task. I want you to listen closely to what God said to Samuel here in verse 11 and following. The Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. What a hard message. What a challenging task God gave Samuel. Max Dupree The author of a number of great books on leadership said, Never insult someone by giving them an easy job. And boy, God, God gave Samuel a difficult job, a tough message to deliver. No one wants to tell their beloved mentor that his kids are awful and that since he didn't correct them, he's finished. I mean, how hard it is for a doctor to deliver bad news, even though there may be hope for a cure. But to deliver news when there's no hope, oh my. Some of the prophets had to deliver bad news. The message was conditional repent or perish. But Samuel received this pronouncement against the house of Eli, and it was certain bad news. It's over. God's patience has run out. No prayers or sacrifices are going to make a difference. How would you like to deliver that? Verse 15 reads, Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. You bet he was. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now let me ask you a question. Has God called you to deliver a tough message Well, that's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Because the gospel is good news, isn't it? But it's also bad news within the good news. The good news is God loves us unconditionally. He has a wonderful plan for our life. He has a purpose for us, and we can say that to people without flinching, but the bad news is, is that we're all sinners, destined for hell, broken relationship with God, and there's only one way to be saved, and that is politically incorrect. Ravi Zacharias uh, commenting recently on how people don't like the narrowness of the gospel, and there's only one way to be saved. Ravi Zacharias said, Man's problem isn't that there's only one way to be saved. It's that it's God's way, not our way. If there were two ways to be saved, we'd be upset that there weren't three. If there were 10 ways, we'd ask, why not 11? But when God calls us, even though our task may be challenging, unpleasant, even though the message may carry some bad news within the good news, here's what he's promised... My word is not going to return empty. It's going to accomplish what I purpose. And I've preached some of the lousiest message you've, you've ever heard. And I've said after some of my sermons, you know, nobody's going to get a thing out of that. But when I say that, and I'm just convinced it fell flat, inevitably, somebody walks up to me and goes, you would never, you would never believe what I got out of that. And you know what? I never would <laughs> because it was just awful but God's word does not return void. Samuel was given a difficult message, but he delivered it faithfully and God blessed his life. The Lord, verse 19 reads, was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. I want to tell you today, God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and he's not playing games with you. He wants to unfold it to you. He's calling you. He's calling you to stand up and step out and give your life, to him and for him and for his cause. In just a moment, I'm gonna turn the service over to our lead pastors, and they're gonna guide us through this time of reflection and commitment. But I wanna say this to you before I do. When you really get connected to God's purpose, God's call in your life, hear me, hear me today, coming from my own experience, that's when you begin to live life with a capital L. That's when there's a spring in your step and a joy in your heart. There's when you begin to sing a song of victory because you know that your life has purpose. It has meaning. And you know that God is using you to make a difference. What is God calling you today to do? When God needs a job done, he calls a leader to do it. I'm going to turn the service over now to our lead pastors as they guide us through this time, this very special time of reflection and commitment to the Lord.